Hello, and welcome to the Steve Barkley Ponders Out Loud podcast. Instructional coaches and leaders create the environment that supports teachers to continually imagine, grow, and achieve. They model an excitement for learning that teachers in turn model for students. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the important aspects of instructional leadership. Thanks for listening. I'm thrilled you're here. Responsibility for improving student outcomes from the boardroom to the classroom. Our podcast guest today is A.J. Crabill, who serves as the Director of Governance for the Council of Great City Schools and the Conservator for the DeSoto ISD system in Texas. Under his leadership, DeSoto ISD has made substantial improvements in many areas. In addition, A.J. is the author of Great on Their Behalf, Why School Boards Fail, How Yours Can Be Effective. Welcome, A.J. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be with you, Steve. Well, thanks. I I visited your uh, website and I listened to some interviews and I I pulled a couple of uh, statements that I found that I thought might give us a good starting point. So uh, I'll play back the statement to you and, and you expand on it, okay? Sounds good. The first one is, the sole reasons that school systems exist is to improve student outcomes. Yeah, this idea that the reason school systems exist is to cause improvements in what children know and are able to do. The basic concept here is that when Our young people leave the school system. They don't get to take anything else with them. That's it. What they get to take is what they know and are able to do. We don't, we don't let them take the laptops with them. It's not (laughs) like you can grab your favorite teacher, sling them over your shoulders. Like you're coming with me, bub. When you leave, what you leave with is what do I know and what am I able to do? And so school systems then have to figure out what are the things that students know and are able to do that's going to most set them up to live a choice-filled life where they can really pursue the things that are of meaning to them, ideally in a way that allows them to be able to take care of themselves and their families. That's the core function that school systems play. This is an important distinction, though, because it becomes so easy to see all the other things that a school system does and thinks that those are, in fact, the reason the school system exists. Um, But that's simply not the case. School systems don't exist to serve school lunch. School systems don't exist to have elaborate football stadiums. School systems don't exist even to things that seem closer in. School systems don't exist to have great textbooks. School systems don't exist to have great teachers. Like all of these are essential ingredients to really setting students up for success, but none of these are why the school system exists. And so if you're going to engage in continuous improvement, for that to be effective, it really has to start with being clear about what is it that we're here to accomplish in the first place? School systems exist for one reason, one reason only, and that's to improve student outcomes, to cause improvements when students know and are able to do. So all those other things, while they have some role to play, we really need to be able to trace that they're having an impact. Their impact on, on why we're here. Uh, and so if we have the textbook that all of the adults love, but the instructional materials aren't actually helping students learn, then that's not that's not the textbook that we need. Even if all of the adults love it, if we have 
you know, the food services program that all of the adults <laughs> love, but none of the children are eating any of the food, then that's probably not the food service program that we need. And so we're really constantly tracing back to this is our purpose. How are all of the other things in adult land contributing to uh, making manifest that purpose? You're sparking a, a phrase that I know I've come upon a, a little too often when I'm trying to figure out why something exists in the way that the school is structured. And it, and it tends to be in, arranged that way for management or arranged that way for uh, uh, teachers. But the reality is somebody down. is benefiting. And, and that's the core observation that I hear you lifting up is someone is benefiting from the system as it currently exists. Uh, we, we sometimes hear people say the system is perfectly designed to produce the results it's producing. Well, someone is experiencing benefit from from the current design, even if that someone doesn't happen to be the students uh, who are supposed to be at the center of it. I, it, it, I, I recall one of my biggies was that uh, students were placed in homerooms in uh, alphabetical order. <laughs> it made stuff coming out of the office and the guidance department really easy to manage. That sounds perfect. That, that sounds spot on. <laughs> let, let me jump to another line I pulled. Student outcomes don't change until adult behaviors change. Yeah. One of the things that folks miss with that idea is that what I really want people to lean into is this idea that I want there to be absolute accountability on the part of the adults in the system for whether or not students are getting what they deserve. What I don't want is for this indulgence in externalities to be why things didn't work out for children. So if little AJ didn't learn the things we needed him to learn for him to be set up for success in life, that I don't want us to ever say, well, that happened because little AJ just didn't want to learn, or that happened because little AJ is poor, or that happened because of all of these other things that externalize accountability for our children's well-being from the adults in the system. And so it's not actually to suggest that none of these externalities don't exist. It's definitely not to suggest that little AJ doesn't have his own sense of agency and capacity to learn and grow without us. It's rather to localize responsibility for what it is that we owe our children with us as the adults in, in the school system. Um, and, and so it's not so much offered as a statement of fact as it is as a statement of purpose. Uh, that student outcomes don't change until adult behaviors change, starting with me, st starting with my adult behaviors. So what does that say about educator learning as a uh, critical element of the system? Yeah, it suggests that uh, what I want for my students emerges from my willingness to change my adult behavior. And my ability to change my adult behavior emerges from my willingness to be on a continuous improvement process, to to constantly be learning, to constantly be growing, and and that it, as I am engaged in continuous improvement, I, I begin to expand what's possible for my students through me. My uh, favorite statement when I'm working with uh, professional learning communities in schools that uh, as you as you look at the uh, uh, student data or student results, 
the question you begin with is what do the kids need us to learn? Yeah. I really, really enjoy that. I really enjoy that. <laughs> I, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make an assumption. If we if we knew what to do to get better results, we would have done it. You know, I'm gonna, yes. I'm, gonna I'm gonna assume nobody's holding back. You know what? I'm I'm gonna save my best for the next kids that come along. Yeah. Not, not, not these kids. Not these kids. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I really appreciate that. Um when you've offered that to folks, how do people frequently respond? Uh, is is that is do people experience empowerment from that, or have have you been beaten up? I, I get I get some I get some kickback from it, but once I add that piece of what my assumption is, yeah, yeah, you know, my my assumption is if you knew that having done this, it would have got a different result. You 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 would have done it. it it's not until we got the results that are in front of us that we realized the the best of what we did didn't get us where we want to be. Well, wasn't I mean, it? Yeah. And, and yeah. that doesn't make us the villain. I mean, right. So one of the things I hate is, you know, this trope, well, you know, we just have lazy teachers. I, I don't know where people are looking. Yeah. Like I, I spent a lot of time visiting classrooms all over the place. I'm not seeing all these lazy teachers. But what I see is people who are working hard and, and they're, they're putting it all on the field. I mean, and so I really enjoy that particular offering because it does suggest it does honor the contribution of our educators and uh, across the spectrum you know be they you know in administration or in the classroom or or elsewhere it suggests that the folks are in fact working hard enough and that where our opportunity for improvement lies isn't in character building for teachers um, but just rather in support for teachers. Yeah, yeah. Um, because of your experiences uh, with with boards and, and central office, as well as with schools, I, I, I'm wondering if can you talk about the what what kind of shared focus or shared collaboration needs to exist at those three different uh, levels in order for a, a system to be successful. Yeah, the challenge here is that imagine you're in a canoe and you've got three people in a canoe and all three of them are, are rowing as hard and as fast as they possibly I mean, they are just going to work with that canoe. They are putting it all in. You know, they, you know, they they've measured out exactly what's the depth they want the paddle going in, what's the angle of attack. I mean, you know, you know, they've they've got their form down where they're they're rowing with their full body and their legs, not just their arms. I mean, they're doing everything now. They're rowing in three different directions yeah. and you know, and all that, but they're working hard. Well, the, yeah. the reality is it in that moment, what causes their destination is no longer their collective behavior. It's really wherever the current of the river was gonna go. Um, and and they're just kind of pinwheeling around and not actually being um, determinant in what happens in the future of their canoe, uh, but they're working hard. And, and so this is the challenge of non-alignment. This is essentially what you're servicing is, you know, what is the impact of alignment? Um, and just like in a vehicle where the wheels are out of alignment, <clears throat> the result is waste energy. Um, from a mechanical perspective, yeah. the result is waste energy in the machine, which degrades performance uh, both in real time and degrades the viability of the machine's components such that its lifespan will actually decrease. I, I actually 
think that that's probably an apt metaphor for what happens when these three different groups, you know, your frontline educators, uh, their support system at the building level, their support system at central office, uh, collectively the administration, and then the school board, that when when they're not in alignment, that you do have a lot of wasted hot air, uh, <laughs> <laughs> heat energy in that regard, because um, as people are talking, but they're talking past each other, they're they're not actually contributing to work being produced um, in the scientific perspective. But also, I think the other critical thing is you're wearing down the components. And so you have folks who put in the fullness of their duties and then go home exhausted thinking, I don't think we did anything for kids today. And, and I've seen this be just as true for teachers in the classroom. Thinking, you know, I spent all day on compliance related stuff. I don't feel like I actually got through to my kids today as I see that coming from board members. I'm leaving a board meeting after an eight hour marathon session. Um, and we talked about a lot of stuff, but I can't tell you if children are any better off today, if there's been any improvements in what students know they're able to do. And I definitely can't tell you what pivots or what adjustments we're making and how we're holding our paddle uh, to figure out if it's actually going to make a difference. And so that's that's absolutely a challenge that I see is this when we have not alignment, it not only degrades the capacity of the organization uh, to achieve its goal and to really steer the canoe where we want it to go, but it also degrades the parts, you know, the constituent parts, which in, this is a business of love. This is a human endeavor. We're, we're grading down the humans involved. And, and I, and I think when you, when you contemplate it from that perspective, it can't be that surprising that we're seeing really record levels of folks leaving the profession and saying, you know what, I just, I can't continue doing this. I, I think we have as leaders in school systems, I think we have a role to play in creating um, education as a place where people can have an amazing and meaningful career where they don't spend all their time feeling like they're just being destroyed by the very system they're here to be a part of. Yeah. There's, there's nothing more stressful than working hard and not being able to uh, point to results from uh, that work. It's hard work. Yeah. It's hard work. There's no way getting around being in education, not being hard yeah. work. It's hard, and, it's hard and, work. And I, and I don't see people afraid of hard work. Yeah, I do I see people fearful of that hard work not being honored, either yeah. through the non-alignment or yeah. through just out-and-out malicia. But I, but I, don't, I don't experience um, a lot of malicious administrators and board members, I do experience teachers feeling like administrators and board members are malicious because that's the experience they're having as the component that's being ground on through the non-alignment. Yeah. But, but yeah. I think if, I, I think in the context of relationship, you'd find out everybody's working as hard as they know how and trying as hard as they know how in the space of non-alignment, most of that energy gets disrespected and kicked out of the system as waste heat. Would you talk a little bit about some of the successes that uh, DeSoto ISD has uh, experienced uh, in the time that you've uh, been there working with them? And I'm actually most interested in what what you learned from it or what what was reinforced for you. You know, what what did you go in there knowing and you were able to to see it happen uh, and it reinforced that for you? Yeah. Oh, first and foremost. All the, the real goodness that's happened to DeSoto is because we've got you know, just an amazing group of students and teachers who, despite 
hardship have just continued to do amazing things. Uh, and so I, I certainly want to take a moment to brag. Uh, not only have we seen uh, tremendous improvements uh, academically over the past two years, in addition to the academic domain, our girls basketball team won state, our boys <laughs> football team won state, and then just recently, our high school choir teacher won a Grammy. Wow. So those things can go together. Absolutely. They, they apparently are all feeding into each other because you're just hitting on all cylinders. It's, it's been a real blessing. Um, in terms of my role um, in DeSoto, you know, I certainly you know, showed up uh, at a time when, when they're like a lot of school systems, you know, there's some, there's some challenges that folks are facing. I assumed that my role was to just serve as a coach. Um, and, I, and I think that orientation is, you know, continues to serve me uh, well in terms of my ability to be effective with folks that, that I'm not coming in kind of being kind of this top down authoritarian, but really trying to work with folks to identify what is it you're trying to achieve? What is it going to take to get there? And how can we create some aligned systems of monitoring and continuous improvement so that if you're getting there, that's visible. If you're not getting there, that's visible as well. So that's that's certainly been my approach from a coaching perspective. In terms of what I've learned, I definitely did not put enough investment into relationships uh, with our teachers when I first arrived. And, and I know what my excuse was, but my excuse is really meaningless. The excuse was we're, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And <laughs> what I'm comfortable with is I would be in classrooms visiting with folks um, and getting to know folks in their classrooms. And the only real option available at the time was to log into their Zooms. And that just felt really awkward. And yeah. a couple of times I tried to do that. People's like, why is he here in my Zoom? And he's looking into my house. Um, and so I know all the excuses I made for why I didn't do it. Um, none of those are particularly useful, relevant to our children. Uh, what they really needed me to do is be more effective at relationship development with their frontline educators in my first year. Um, and I realistically just simply didn't do that. With the benefit of hindsight and recognizing how much more valuable it would have been to do so, uh, rather than to kind of be scared of the pandemic reality, I should have just created another way. If I had to do it over again, what I'd probably do is say, hey, I still want to connect. I can't physically come to your classroom and I don't really want to join your Zoom classroom, but maybe we could have a Zoom session when students aren't around, we're going to just connect and learn what's working for you, what's not working, how can I be of service, and all the basic conversations I would have had in person if classes were in session. It is on me to find a different way. And really, honestly, I, I didn't find that way. So the interactions I did have were far fewer than they would normally have been. I didn't adapt well for that. So that's, that's in retrospect, a, a real learning of mine is that I, I often try to pride myself of being flexible and a, a problem solver. I didn't apply any of that whatsoever uh, to what, in retrospect, is a really easily solved problem. Am I hearing asking and listening as a key to building those relationships? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, and my normal way of doing that was taken yeah. off the table, and I didn't adapt. Yeah. Um, I didn't adapt in the way I needed to. So I, I had like these larger group uh sessions yep. but people are always super awkward yep. in these massive group zooms with like 80 other people and, well, and you didn't get that any sense you, of that connection you can't get the ask and listen 
in the big right ex- exactly yeah. Yeah. Um, and so what i i needed especially the leadership role uh, my educators um you know i owed it to them to have found that figured that out and i, I did not solve for x that's powerful i'm really glad you shared that that's really powerful how about uh, telling us a little bit about what folks are going to find in the, in the book great right on their behalf Ooh, this has been quite the journey. The The basic intention here is to reveal uh, one particular path toward continuous improvement for school boards. That if, if we really believe that what's possible for children emerges from changes in adult behavior, then we, we have to have a vision for how do we change adult behavior in the most uh, optimized ways. And from my view, whether it's in the classroom, the boardroom, that's all about continuous improvement. It's it's all about getting a mindset that's about growth. It's about getting clear about what we're trying to accomplish um, and, and clarifying those priorities and then monitoring progress, figure out, are we actually moving in the direction we intend? And then aligning all of our, our time, talent, and treasure with whatever the monitoring told us. If it says that you know, we need more instruction time here. If we need to change your know, pedagogy here, you know, that, that we align our efforts with whatever the data from monitoring is telling us. Um, and then we communicate about the results and then we start it all over again. And, and for me, this continuous improvement cycle is just as necessary in the boardroom as it is in the classroom. And so if I go a step further to say if boards really want to drive a culture of continuous improvement in the classroom, their access to that is to be mindful about how are we modeling a culture of continuous improvement in the boardroom. And so that's what this book really is about, is how how can boards model continuous improvement in the boardroom? What are the things that are standing in the way of that being a dominant use of the board's time when they're coming together month after month? And and what could the impact for children be if boards chose to behave that way? So that's that's what the book is about. Um, and, and it's also just a little bit of cathartic opportunity to share some of the amazing stories of, <laughs> of interactions with boards and other groups uh, that I've been able to have over the years that, that help give some color to the ideas of continuous improvement and what that looks like piece by piece. Well, I, I started a phrase a whole lot of years back that said the message I wanted uh, boards to get when I worked in the district was that as a board, you need to get the message out to the community. We're the best we've ever been, and we need to change. <laughs> yeah, and that I, I really appreciate that um, because both embracing that the progress that we've made is worth honoring yes, while I'm also yeah. completely embracing that. And now it's time to take it to the next level. Yeah, and, and, and I think if you're not artful about that, so I, I love the way you describe that because if you were less artful about that, and I think it's easy for people to say, oh, what we're doing now must be trash. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the message. If the community doesn't believe in you, why, why should they invest in you? So uh, absolutely, you, you, you got to have the celebratory part. Or the the opposite end is absolutely dangerous. There's no improvement to be had here. We're yeah. we're exactly where I agree. we need to be. That, I worked in I worked in too many of those districts where they were staying where they were. Yeah. Yeah. Because it didn't take long to look around and shine the light on a couple of other uh, districts or schools. Well, so, but we're better than them. Yeah. 
But now, to be fair, you know, Steve, part of the challenge is I, I think there's some danger that people experience from making the suggestion that we need to continue improving. I don't know if you've experienced that or not. If you, if, if there's been a fearfulness of making that claim that uh, we need to continue to grow for fear of how they might be attacked in the community. I don't know if you've experienced that or not. Yeah, that's why I, I, I thought you had to have both pieces there. The celebration of how we got here. And all you, all you got to do is be future focused to see that, uh, that uh, that continuing to deliver what we're delivering will probably be insufficient in, in, in the way things change. Yeah, there, there's more there's more opportunity for uh, growth on the part of our students, and the likelihood of that emerging uh, is bound up in: Are we willing to be on this continuous improvement journey? Not satisfied with the remarkable things that our students are doing, but saying there's even more remarkableness available um, down this down this path. And you usually don't have to dig too far in the top systems to find some students for whom it's not happening. Yeah. And th- those places can be even harder to change <laughs> because you've got, you've got so much evidence that you're doing it correct, even though it's not correct for some smaller group. Well, I've heard superintendents actually say this is that, I know that if my board changes behavior, we could generate more alignment and we could get better results for our students. But if we change what they're doing right now, it could just get worse. So let's just stick with what we got. <laughs> leave well enough alone. <laughs> well, uh, AJ, it's, it's been a, a great conversation. Uh, I'm really glad to uh, be able to get this out to my listeners. I'm wondering if you'd share with folks the best way to uh, connect with you. If, uh, if they want to take the conversation further and also find out about your book. Yeah, um, I continue to try to share this message with folks and definitely want to engage with any anyone out there who's just trying to find a way forward and how do we cause there to be a maximal amount of alignment between what's happening in our classrooms, what's happening in our boardrooms. Uh, for people who want to be part of that conversation, feel free to reach out to me personally. You can just go to ajcrable.com. Or if you want to learn more about the book, you can go to greatontheirbehalf.com and read uh, the first chapter. And then if you decide that you want to kind of go all out, you can uh, check out Amazon and all the other places. Great. Great. Well, uh, we will stick both those things in the lead into the podcast, uh, make it easier for folks to find. Thank you so much. No, this was a ton of fun. Um, and you offered uh, too, and I was so busy. Uh, engrossing our work, but I actually want to write them both down. And so there are two things that you said, both that I absolutely enjoyed. Could you, do you recall those? Could you repeat those? (laughs) Well, the one was for for the school board one. It was that we're the best we've ever been and we need to change. Yes. Uh, Yeah, that was one of them. And the other was the, the, uh, for professional learning communities, what do the kids need us to learn? Yes. I uh, have a Google Doc that I maintain that has just all the cool and inspirational things that I've run across in that particular day. I try to jot them down. <laughs> um, and then when I'm having one of those 
horrible nightmarish days and there's <laughs> no inspiration to be had i just open this file back up and read it's cool. like, you know what no there's some awesome humans out here let me get back in this so very um, cool so for both cool. the joy of today's conversation and for the future times that you will pull me back from my malaise uh thank you very much well i uh i, I hope we'll i i will be following you and uh i hope we get a chance to connect again take yeah, care have a good one thank you for listening you can subscribe to Steve Barkley Ponders Out Loud on iTunes and Podbean. And please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. I also want to hear what you're pondering. You can find me on Twitter at Steve Barkley or send me your questions and find my videos and blogs at barkleypd.com.